In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. One of uh, the great, uh, or I should say maybe even favorite, uh, hymns of the church, which is not in our hymnal, and yet most any Christian uh, knows uh, the tune and maybe even the words by heart and uh, seems to have a quality that, that grabs hold of you is the hymn, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. Uh, for me, uh, growing up in the church, we didn't sing it in church, but we sang it in Sunday school. And uh, my mother's side of the family uh, sang it uh, often when we would gather uh, for family events. And uh, yet, it's been a long time since I've heard that hymn. And I think that part of it is because it's lost a little bit of its cachet. Admittedly, it can be uh, a little overly sentimental. Uh, it was written by Joseph Scriven for his mother when he moved to Canada and left her behind in uh, Ireland. That would be a nice Mother's Day gift uh, to write this uh, for your mom and reminding her that even though he was going to be in Canada, uh, that she had a friend in Jesus in all her griefs and sorrows and burdens he himself would bear. And because of what Jesus had done for her, uh, she could always go to him. That she had access to the Father through Jesus. And even though some might say, well, it's a little sentimental, uh, it's actually the sweetness of that hymn uh, that has always hooked me. The idea that Jesus is ever our friend. Now, I've noticed in the preaching of the church uh, that we don't often hear talk about Jesus as our friend. For some of us, it may be uncomfortable for us to think of Jesus as our friend in the way that we think of our friends. He may seem too distant uh, for us to consider him friend. Uh, maybe that's it. But as I began to pray and think about this passage from John 15, where Jesus calls his disciples and he calls us friends, I thought, well, why is it that sometimes we have a hard time identifying Jesus as our friend? And I think if any of you were to sit back and think about the culture around us, the way that our society works, we actually have a very hard time understanding friendship to the extent that many in our world don't know what friendship is. We see this played out uh, on things like Facebook, where uh, the question that is often uh, asked is, well, how many friends do you have? But if you think about your friends in Facebook, are they really friends? Probably not. And yet, uh, it is a problem that we have in the world over what friendship is. There's a commercial on uh, for Expedia Travel that has gripped me lately, and it has this young woman traveling to Tokyo on her own. And the voiceover has her saying, if I had friends to travel with, I would go. But I don't want to go by myself. This, of course, means she doesn't have anyone to travel with because she doesn't have any friends. In fact, earlier in the commercial, she says, I normally just go back home to see my parents for vacation. 
And if you watch it, in spite of the wonderful music and the effects, there's a sense of sadness that here's this girl experiencing the joys and sights of Tokyo all by herself. There was nobody to go with her. The whole theme of Expedia's campaign is there are no more excuses. Well, why would Expedia put up such a depressing commercial? Well, because it appeals to a large segment of our society who are friendless, who are alone, who feel lonely. If they did want to go out, who would they go out with? In a world where there are a thousand ways to connect with others, especially through the internet, we are very disconnected from one another. We don't talk to one another anymore. We text. Right? I'm amazed by the number of people that you see out at dinner, too, uh, definitely a couple probably in a romantic relationship, and what are they doing? Texting. Maybe they're texting one another. I don't know. Uh, but they may be doing that. I was shocked uh, when uh, my, my mother had a bag phone. A ba oh, man, when she went in to trade her cell, they said, we can't service the bag phone. you got to come in a Radio Shack to get it. This dates it. you got to come and get a new cell phone. And it was fisticuffs in Radio Shack. She did not want to give up that bag phone. But when my mother had the cell phone, we had a rule in our house growing up. Is it the phone rang during dinner? It didn't ring. Right? Don't even acknowledge it. And yet there I was having lunch with my mother one day and her cell phone rang and she picked it up and just gave me the, hold on a minute. Uh, as she, because why? It might be an emergency. Now when's the last time you got a phone call from on your cell phone that was an emergency? Well, you haven't. Or how many of you have found yourselves engaging in a dispute or fight over texting or email? We have a very hard time talking to one another, and texting and email and all that stuff is great, and yet it's causing a huge disconnect between us. Is that what friendship looks like? You get the occasional email, the occasional phone call. Well, what does friendship look like? Well, one of the great examples of the Bible is the friendship that King David and Jonathan, the son of King Saul, shared. Uh, it's a remarkable friendship because here is David, whom God has anointed to be king over Israel, that God has made very clear that he has turned away from Saul and turned toward David. And yet David's best friend is the son of his greatest rival. Jonathan, who by hereditary right would become king of Israel after his father, was best friends with not just his dad's competition, but with his greatest source of competition. And yet, throughout that story of this beautiful friendship between Jonathan and David, time and time again, Jonathan expressed his great love for David, and David expressed his great love for Jonathan, and Jonathan would even go out of his way to save the life of David, thwarting the plans of his own father. Two very unlikely friends, and yet Jonathan being willing to give way to David. And David never taking advantage of that, or taking it for granted, or when he did, repenting of it, in the midst of it, knowing that in Jonathan, 
And Jonathan and David having a friend that stuck closer to a brother. And there's a word that I think marks their friendship, which has really gotten blown up in our world that we don't even know what it means. And that word is intimacy. Now, most of us, when we think of intimacy in the world, think of it in a sexual context. But in fact, the intimacy that the Bible talks about between David and Jonathan is this beautiful friendship where they have a shared life together. And they're there for one another. You know, I, I think about my own friendships that I had with other men during college and after college when all of us graduated and poured into a house in Washington, D.C. We, we shared life together. Uh, we shared our hopes and our fears. Uh, when we fell on hard times, we had those who stuck as close as a brother. Indeed, in some ways, those friendships became more dear to me and even closer to me than the relationships that I had with my family. But there's something very strange in our culture that happens. Because we tend to get married fairly young in the United States, the moment that a man gets married, it's as if those friendships cease to exist. I mean, for most men, we only have the friends that our wives give us. Now, you know what I mean by that. Right? You know what I mean by that. But isn't it interesting that we look back at the photographs of our wedding day and we see all these men standing up there smiling and you would think, these are my closest friends. But how many, if you had to look at the photograph, do you wonder where in the world they are? Or even the godfathers of some of our children. There they were taking vows uh, on behalf of the child and now we no longer feel a closeness and a connection. Now... Married women uh, tend to do a very good job of maintaining friendships and relationships. Uh, it, it's amazing to me how uh, the women in my life can be on the phone uh, for two hours uh, with the same person almost every single day. And I ask, well, what did y'all talk about? And I say, nothing. Uh, it, it just amazes me. And yet they are able to maintain that kinship. But the two demographics that are hard to find real, meaning, lasting, intimate friendship are married men and single people over a certain age. And let me just admit this. The church has done a terrible job of being friends to people who are single and for putting forward the idea of friendship to married men. Anytime a couple comes in to do premarital counseling with me, I look at the groom and I say, what I want you to do is I want to make sure that you have a friend that's your age that you can go to for anything. You need a Jonathan, you need a David in your life. But I also want you to seek out somebody who's older, who has a little more experience, that can really mentor you uh, in your walk with the Lord, but also just to have someone to be there for you. I mean, how wonderful is it when you're in the throes of marriage early on and you think that you're the only person struggling with whatever issue it is that you're struggling with, and you can call up somebody and they can sort of smile on the other end of the telephone and they say, welcome to marriage. <laughs> that actually this is normal. But so often, we just keep it in to ourselves. We need friendships. We need to reach out to those who may be friendless. And yes, for those of us who are married, our spouse ought to be the closest, most intimate of friends. 
But that should not be to the exclusion of those friendships, men for men and women for women, that are so vital. In fact, I found that the health, uh, the healthfulness of my male friendships actually makes me a better husband and follower. But friendship is intimidating because it's messy, because it requires us to become vulnerable. We don't like to be vulnerable. And yet here is Jesus in John 15 saying, Greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. No longer do I call you servants. I call you friends. Now, that is a remarkable thing for Jesus to say, but I start to get a little squeamish when Jesus says, You are my friends if you do what I command you. Because if that's the standard, I am the worst friend Jesus has ever had. In fact, I worry about my status as Jesus' friend. I mean, I have a hard time maintaining friendships with the people here on earth, much less Jesus. And yet, who is Jesus calling friends in John 15? He's calling his disciples friends, and he's calling us friends. Jesus calls his disciples friends here, and he calls us friends. And this friendship came not out of our own choosing. Jesus says, I have chosen you to be my friend, not the other way around. But God himself has decided to befriend us. And this is a very powerful thing because it means that Jesus is a true friend. He is the one that sets aside his rights and his prerogative for the sake of the other. He gives way totally in sacrifice on the cross for really bad friends. No doubt uh, the disciples wanted to be a friend to Jesus. But their will failed them in the Garden of Gethsemane. As Jesus was arrested, they fled. Peter tried to be a friend, but while Jesus was under trial, he denied Jesus' friendship to even a little girl. And just when Jesus needed them most as he hung upon the cross, only John and the women were there for him. The love that Jesus has for us we can never reciprocate. And yet we're encouraged by St. Paul's words in 1 Corinthians, 13, 1 Corinthians 13, where Paul says that the love that we have on earth, even amongst Christians, is like seeing through a glass darkly. That is, we catch glimpses of it, we kind of squint and we can see it, but we actually are not able to see it as it is and what it's meant to be until we see Jesus face to face and we behold things as they are. And yet with the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit coming into our lives and filling us, we're under the conviction that that is how we want to love. We, we not only know that we need those friendships, we, we long for them. If you are afraid that Jesus might unfriend you, think upon the fact that here Jesus tells his disciples, friends, even though they're bad friends, and after the resurrection, his first words to the bad friends were, fear not. Now, how many of us have encountered an old friend and things in the relationship went terribly wrong? 
The friendships seem to end, but any time you see them in public, your heart leaps into your throat, and you are transported back in an instant. As the disciples' hearts leapt into their throats, Jesus calmed the waves of their hearts and says to them, Fear not. Don't be afraid. All is well because I have made it well. My death is enough even to cover your failure as friends. Friends. I call you friends this morning because we are together brothers and sisters in Christ. And God calls us to that relationship with one another. But that is only possible through him who died for us that chose you and decided to call you friends even when we are the worst friends God could ever have. Amen.